And uh, first thing we want to do right now is go to God's Word. So join me in the book of Jude. The book of Jude, where we are studying together. What are we studying? God is able. That's exactly what we're studying. And uh, we are going to make sure that we get this point across to ourselves as we keep looking at this text and um, chewing it together. So, we're in verse number one. Last week we were in verse number one. This week we're in verse number one because we didn't finish last week. We ran out of time. So, uh, this is not just some rehashed sermon for you. I trust that uh, it will challenge your hearts um, and it will bring you to a stronger faith that indeed he is able, and that's what we need to know. We need to trust him. So, Heavenly Father, we're going to start this morning at this time when we open up your word with prayer. Because we need that. The prayers that we offer up to you, Lord, are just acknowledgments of our dependence upon you. We cannot get through this day without you. We cannot live without you. The needs that represent uh, those who are ill among us and, and uh, going through some uh, medical procedures and tough times, uh, those who are not well because of the virus, and those who have other challenges in their lives and in their families. When we bring a list before you, we just acknowledge again, we need you. There's, there's no other way that uh, we can say it other than we depend upon you. And we come to you right now when we open up your word as those needy people again, asking you to take this word, this divine, powerful, holy word of God, and apply it to our lives. Make us different because we have spent time studying it here this morning. So we start, Lord, right away with this very fact that we need you. And we thank you that you are able. For those things, we just give you glory. As we like to do, we pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Verse number one. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. New American Standard Version. If you have the King James, you'll see a slightly different wording in there. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We were working with this a little bit last week, and there are three things that are mentioned between these two translations, and those are the three points of our outline. We are beloved by God. We are sanctified by God. We are preserved by God. Those are the three points that we're making using both of those texts um, because all of that is true. All of that is true. We have found our main verse for our study to be verse 24. Now to him who is able, able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory 
and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Then he adds an amen. I want to underscore something that you just heard. Before all time and now. Now. We talk about things that uh, in the past we say, God gets the glory for that. This is what he did, right? We talk about the future, where it's going to be. Eventually, we'll stand before him and praise him. Aren't we looking forward to that? But do you know he also deserves the glory now? Right now, today, it's now. This is the point of the passage. The Lord deserves it all the time, doesn't he? When does he stop working in your life? He doesn't. He's active right now. And that's why I love reading through these verses, because I'm not reading to you something that was written 2,000 years ago, and it's no longer necessary, it's antiquated, kind of like the Latin language or something like that. And we say, well, it's, it's good to study history, right? This is reality, The text of Scripture is true today as it was the day it was penned. And so as we read these things, we can take great confidence that the God who is able is still able and will still be able all the way through. That's what we hang on to. That's what we trust. He's able to keep us from falling. He's able to make us stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy. Now, we've been working on that for several weeks, and I'm not going to go back over all of those parts and pieces because you have them uh, available on the website. But uh, we're going to stress it at the end of our message this morning again about how that fits in together with what we're looking at. I just know that uh, many times in this life we put a lot of stress on our circumstances, on our events, on our, our daily episodes, And we say, you know what? This falling thing, it happens. We experience things like that, don't we? And then we read this verse and say, wait a minute, what happened? I thought God was able. He must have been gone that day. No. We're going to define these better for you. The point is that God is able. He didn't say, we are able. It says, He is able. There's a vast difference between those two things. Because we struggle. That's where we are. And we ask, how can it be? Because we fall often, perhaps. We seem far from blameless, I believe. And the overwhelming scripture that we are reading is that God is able. It's not us. He is working right now to cause... Spiritual growth within us. Ultimately, and I'm looking forward to this, when we stand in His presence, it will make sense. We will stand before Him and see all that He has done, and we're going to stop and say, I don't know if this is your first word in heaven, but it might be mine. Wow! Isn't this amazing? If I could even open up my mouth at that point. But God's at work. He's at work in you right now. And I just take great comfort in resting upon His ability and not my own. So I want to convince you that this is true. 
take you to these passages. And I've already showed you this, but verse number 1 and verse number 24 go beautifully together. It's as if you could take all the insides out and just put those two verses side by side. And it makes a beautiful picture. In verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Who is going to accomplish that? He is. Underscore that. It's so important that we understand it. The beginning place of this book is that God is able. The final place in this book is God is able. Underscore that. All the way through. So what we emphasize today has everything to do with our theme. And I love to talk about these things because I speak about our God. I don't want to miss them. Verse number one, just a review. You are beloved in God the Father. You are completely loved, remember? We talked about this last week. You are completely loved. It's the agape word, that big one. That's God's kind of love. You are beloved. Perfect tense, which means completed action and results in a state of being. Let me try to illustrate this. I do it this way. Sometimes it's easier to visualize. You're loved. At some point in time, God loved you. Amazing, isn't it? Just imagine sometime, just suddenly, boom, there you're loved. The results of that go on and on and on and on. And on. It's not that he's growing to love you. You have been loved. And the results stay that way. As we march through time, they never change. I love this. Because we try to graph love based on circumstances. Based on our attitude. Oh, don't do it that way, please. Not the attitude. Based on our, our, our did we have devotions this morning? I'll tell you, I was that way. When I was in high school, I had this terrible fear. If I didn't start the day with my daily bread, it was going to be the worst day of the week. I was so superstitious. I, I honestly, I thought that I had to maintain God's love for me. And what this is saying is, God loves you and it stays that way because it's based on Him and not on you. It's not what you do that gained His love in the first place. You know how I know that? Because Ephesians 1 says he loved you before the world was even created. Doesn't that just pop circuit somewhere up there? Say, really? How much did you influence in that decision? Nobody's going to admit to being that old anyway, are they? But the, the reality is he has loved us. Suddenly loved us, if you will. Not growing to love you as you, you know, please him along the way and make him think more highly of you. That's not what the text says. He loves you. There are no trial periods here. He loves you. You didn't gradually learn to love you. He loves you. And folks, it stays that way. To the same degree, it doesn't diminish. 
Aren't you glad for that? This is really incredible theology when you start thinking it through. God is capable of that because he's able to love you. Woohoo! That's good stuff. I set that before you. Because it's not something you've earned. It's not something you've done. It's called the passive voice in the Greek. This love that he has given to you, he did it to you. You did not do it. Active voice would mean I did it. We always illustrate this when we try to explain this in Greek grammar to students who've never studied this kind of stuff. We say it's the difference between taking a ball in your hand and throwing it. That's actively. You did it. Or standing there and somebody else throws a ball and it hits you in the head. You didn't see it coming, but you've all been there sometime, haven't you? Been hit by something you weren't expecting. That's the way God did this. Passive voice. We did not do it. God did it to us. I rest in this one too. Because I know if I had all eternity to try, I could never impress him enough to love me. He loved me. That's a description of you. It's a participle on top of all that. It's a description of you. This is your identity. Understand this. Your identity in Jesus Christ is that you are loved by God. If you want a good study on that, spend time in the book of John. Work your way through several of those chapters, but especially right around 14, 15, 16, 17. And he talks about God's love that you have. It's amazing, amazing. I'd just say it this way, as we talked about this last week. You are perfectly, completely, permanently loved by God. Got that? Those are important words in this. Not because you were able to do it, but because He is able to do it. He made it so. He keeps it so. And that counts on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday. Any day this week you pick. Any day you want in a month. Any day you want in a year. Until you step into His glory. You are loved. And when you get there, you will see that you have been. You are loved. I love that. I love starting with that. And I have to do this. And listen carefully. It's going to have its application in just a few minutes. But you've got to mark that point. You're loved and it's not going to change. Got it? Okay? All right. Second thing we saw, that you're sanctified. You are completely sanctified. The King James uses that word. And that's a beautiful word. It's set apart. Sometimes we use the word made holy. But they're all in the same family. Sanctified, sanctuary, holy, saint, all these things. It means to be set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose. You are completely set apart for a purpose. Do you know that? No Christian is not sanctified. I know sometimes they don't act like it. But we're talking about a reality of what God has done. God has sanctified everyone that belongs to him. They are sanctified. Set apart for a purpose. I want to ask you, 
Do you know your purpose? Do you know why God set you apart, chose you? Do you know? You may say, well, particularly, what? Am I supposed to do this or do that or this? God set you apart for his purpose. He's going to use you. He's going to work through you. He's going to bring glory to himself in what he accomplishes in your life. He's got a reason, you see, a reason for choosing you. It wasn't an accident. And I underscore that especially because sometimes we wonder, well, why did God choose me? I've asked people before, if, if we use the illustration of 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the body and some are the eye and some are the, the foot and all those, you remember that passage, I'm sure you do. But uh, as we go through that, sometimes I ask somebody, well, if we're the body of Christ and you're a part of that body, which part are you? Some people say, well, I must be the appendix. I have no idea why I'm here. What, what am I for? What's the appendix for? We, we wonder about things like that. We always have. Maybe there's a better answer. But we say, that must be my place. Why did God ever choose me? What does he want me to be? We're, we spend half our time trying to figure this all out. But underscore this. God does not do anything without a purpose. If he has called you aside... There's a purpose in it. If he has saved you, there is a purpose in it. God does that. And that's the nature of this word. You have been set aside for a purpose. And I'm going to tell you what that is, especially in a minute. But understand it. It's again, just like the word loved, it's a perfect tense. When he did this, it was done, it was complete, and the results remain. Just like where I walked from here to there. That's not based on you folks. That's based on him. That's what he's done. That's what he's accomplished. He has set you apart as your state of being. And you are existing as one who's set apart. You know what that does to me? That convicts me. What about you? If I've been set apart to be holy... And I'm not acting that way. Guess whose problem that is? I'm not living up to who I am. If you're struggling with that, you're not living up to who you are. You are sanctified and you stay sanctified. Permanent tense. You did not make it so. You cannot keep it yourself. You can't take the vows for this. He made it so, because he is able. And really, that really stuns me too when I say, he is able to do that too? Oh yes. He can take us for what we are and say, you're set apart for a purpose. And keep it so. It's not based, aren't you glad it's not based on your circumstances? It's not based on what you've accomplished today or tomorrow? It goes all the way back to that same verse I read to you a minute ago. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. That was before you had anything to do with it. Before the foundation of the world. Don't make the mistake to think that somehow sanctification is based 
on you to get it finished. It's God's work. What's that mean for you to do? Trust Him. Walk with Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Understand that He set you apart for a purpose. Remember, you did not do it. He did it. It's that passive voice again. He did it. It's it's His credit, not yours. God set you apart for a purpose. I'm just going to keep saying that until you get it. You are perfectly, completely, permanently sanctified by God and for God. Even on Mondays. Even on Thursdays. He set you apart for His glory. I told you those verses we ended last week. And I told you, I'll tell you what you're set apart for. And here it is. All things by Him were created. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Are you, a, are you in that department somewhere? I think so. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. First, first uh, I mean, Colossians chapter 1. You have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him. You've been set apart for a purpose. Now chew on that for a while. That will change your life. So you're not only loved, you're not only sanctified, but let's go to the third one, which we didn't get to last week. You're preserved. You're kept. You're kept. It says in both translations, whether it says preserved or kept, it says it toward the end of the verse, we're kept for Jesus Christ. We're kept. We're preserved. You are completely kept. Completely preserved. I'm not talking about strawberries in the jar. Alright? Go out and buy a little jar of strawberry preserves. Say, okay, what's, what's this idea? What, what do you mean, pastor? You're kept. You're watched over. You're preserved. You're reserved. You're held. I like this word. Held. You are held. It's a glorious thing to be kept by the Lord. Kept in the fashion we're about to see. Kept by the power of God. Kept because He is able to keep you. Kept. He told His priests back in the book of Numbers when they were trying to figure out their new job. He says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out among the people and I want you to say this to them. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. You've heard it before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What a great way to start a morning. Greet somebody that way. What's our typical morning greeting? Morning. I survived. You know, we got that look like we're just trying to come back from the tomb or something like that. I don't know about you, but it's rough sometimes getting started in the morning. These priests were given a job to do. And what a way to lift a heart. The Lord bless you 
and keep you. Do you think he's going to? This is, that's early in the relationship with the Lord. And here we have all of scripture to prove it. That God does keep. Matter of fact, he's rather good at it. He keeps. Even when they fail. Oh yeah. Is there examples of failure anywhere in this book? And look at the way it ends. We get to the truth and guess what God's able to do? Keep. And nobody has stepped up and said, that's not true. Have they? And you can't say that either, can you? There's no witnesses here today that says God can't keep. It says God is able to keep you. You are kept. It's something he's already done. Matter of fact, the way it says it, don't be surprised, it's a perfect passive participle. Just like the other two. Which means something like this. It's a completed action, and it has a resulted state of being. Just like he kept you here, it continues on, he doesn't let go. He holds. He holds. He holds. He holds. You are kept, and you stay kept. It will not change. I find that very encouraging. I did not make that possible, folks. I did not write that into the text and say, I'm going to change these words so that it sounds like a good three-part sermon. That's what God said. You are kept. You are kept. I don't take the credit for it, and neither do you. He is able to do this. He has made it so. You're kept. Why do we sometimes think that of these three, this one's not going to work? Somehow this one, because of the world we live in, you know, how many things are permanent? You find much out there that's permanent? We keep things, we lose them. You've never lost anything. I've lost some things. We lose things. And then we take our experience and shove it into our theology. In Ephesians chapter 1, I've told you before last week, we keep going back to that, and I'll give you another verse out of Ephesians 1. It's verse number 12. Verse number 12 is a wonderful little phrase in the middle of incredible things that the Lord has done for us. And verse number 12 says, Now, I told you, it's right in the middle of a passage. Are you there yet? He's trying. He's catching up. Verse 12, Ephesians 1.12, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. You say, okay, pastor, what do you see? We're the first to hope in Christ. What happens in the end? Somewhere with that fall apart? Somehow that didn't get finished? It says, in the end, to the end, we who were the first to hope in Christ will be. You see that word? Will be, not maybe, not could be, not hope so, but will be to the praise of his glory. What does that just tell you? What he started, he will finish. 
and it involves you. What he has started, he will finish. There's no loss at what he sets to accomplish with the you. There's no loss. Folks, if there's anything on this world that can carry a guarantee, it's what God has said in his word. God's word is unchanging. God's word is faithful because it's based on him and he does not change. And he made a promise. And he says, in the end, you'll be there. Though I chose you back there, you'll be there for my glory. I will keep you. I love that. I love that. Because it's based on him. You have hope in him now, don't you? One person said, maybe. You have hope in him now. You have hope in a future with him too? Uh Uh-huh. You think there's going to be surprises someday? Step into glory and find out, oh, he changed his mind. You know what? Outside of being a little funny, that would be devastating. That would mean that he didn't keep his promise. He said, I'll keep you. You are kept by him. Kept by him. That's not going to change. And I could tell you a lot about what, how special that is to me. I don't know what that means to you right now. But I know what it means to me. When I grew up, I was taught all kinds of things that were contrary to God's Word. I was immersed in all kinds of thoughts that were not true. I used to think that there were many things that I could do to mess up my future with God. I believe that. I believe that somehow, whether by events or even by my own self, I could fall out of my relationship with him. I could mess it up. I believed I even had the power to change what God has started in me. In my pride. I paraded around like salvation was my department to gain or my department to lose. That's what I thought. I was absolutely miserable in it. I'll tell you that. I was miserable. What a joy it was for me to learn otherwise. If I have one song I sing forever, is that God has saved me by His power, not by mine. Salvation is of the Lord, folks. It's not of me. And it's not of you. It's because... He is able to keep me. What a difference that made for me. A whole lot, he's a whole lot stronger than I am. I used to think I could thwart his plan. I was glad he slapped me aside the head. Literally, no. Figuratively, yes. (laughs) He did. He got my attention in, in, in just a little book called Romans. I got to chapter 5, and he changed me forever when I saw that he loved me. I was taught that God didn't love me. Do you believe that in a church? I was taught that I had to do all kinds of things to keep him loving me. I had to do all kinds of things to maintain that relationship. And the day that I chose not to, well, that's, that's, my, that's my power to change. 
And I was taught all that. When I found out that God loves me like he does, he sent his son for me. He demonstrated that love to me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I wow, he loved me that much? I could never go back to what I've been taught. Never go back to that. Because that was not true. God loves me. God set me apart. God keeps me. Wow. I could rest in that, can you? I'll tell you what, it's better to rest in that than to wrestle with the rest. And I wrestled. I wrestled and I wrestled. But when I learned to rest in Him, what a peace it gave me. He keeps. That's what the text says. He keeps. And this is passive voice again. You did not do it. I did not do it. I don't take credit for it, and you don't take credit for it. It's what God has done for you, and what God is doing right now. He is keeping you. He is keeping you. And that's a description of you. That is your identity in Jesus Christ. You are perfectly, completely, permanently kept for Jesus Christ. Because he's able to do it. And he will keep it so. Like I keep saying, that works on a Monday or a Thursday or any other day of the week. You are kept. You are kept. You are kept. You are kept. When you step into glory, you will see you were kept. Those are glorious things to me, folks. As a called one, which Jude 1 says, we're called. As a called one, you are Loved, you are sanctified, you are preserved, you are kept. What do I do with that? Other than bask in it, it's just fun to stop and say, Wow, isn't this great? If that's your devotions every morning, you're going to start happy people every day. What a great thing to think about. But like I said, he's done it for a reason. You ready? Go back to verse 24. Let's put it together. Why did he do all this? Why does he do all this? What is the point? Why does he love me, set me apart, and keep me? Why? Because he's able? Yes. But he's able to keep you from stumbling, folks. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Remember the context of that verse? Remember it? Back up just a few verses. Verse 22. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. What is that? That is called ministry. That is called reaching out to somebody who is not right with the Lord, and helping them. They might be lost. Or, unfortunately, they might be a believer who's in a bad, bad place right now. Do we not have a ministry to them? Aren't we supposed to reach out to them? Have mercy on them? Snatch them from the fire? Oh, I know their garments might smell terrible. 
But are we not supposed to reach out? Isn't that what ministry looks like? Do we not live in an ugly world? Sin is an ugly thing. And people get wrapped up in it. And who is the one who is loved and set apart and kept by God? Us. And what does he say? Go on. Reach them. I'm able to hold you. Go on into that ministry. Help them. I've got, I've got what you need. I'm with you. I love you. I have a purpose for you. And I'm keeping you. Go on and minister. Go on to that dark world and reach out to them. Go on and share the gospel with them. Oh, they may not like it, but you know what? I love you, and I've got you set apart for a purpose, and I'm holding you right now. Can you not just speak the gospel to somebody? I'm able to keep you from stumbling. I'm able to present you blameless before my throne in glory. Go on. Reach the sinner. Go on. Reach out to that person. Go to that tough place. God is able, right? What is our number one hindrance for ministry? Fear. I can't. I don't want to go there. It's dangerous. I don't want to talk to that person. I I know what they're going to say. I have a friend, he was in ministry. For many years he was in ministry. He was a pastor of a church. One day he knew that the Lord was calling him to go down the street to a lady in the church who was in a bad relationship. And he needed to talk to that lady about that. And he said, no. And do you know what he did? He wrote out his resignation on the spot and quit ministry. You say, why? And I've asked him, why? He says, I didn't want to go. I knew the situation. I didn't want to address it. I didn't want to speak to that. I didn't want to go into that. You know, so many times you say, I don't want to. We're afraid. We're afraid. Well, I might get dirty. Oh, yeah, they've got dirty garments. I might get burned. Oh, yes, they're in the fire. Who's going to reach them? You say, well, somebody who's well-trained. How many times, i honestly tell you something, how many times somebody brought their friend or their relative to me and said, you fix them? Well, okay, I'll try, but... Think about this for a minute, please. Listen carefully. You are loved by the Lord. You're set apart for a purpose. You're kept by Him. And if you say no, then you're not trusting Him. Isn't that what it comes down to? He said, go. Go. I'm able to keep you. I'm able to keep you blameless. And in the end, you're going to see it. You're going to stand before me. That situation, that person, that sin, that thing you're going to address, I send you out there for a reason. Go. 
and trust me, I'm able. Every time we say, I can't, we've got our eyes on the wrong person. We look at ourselves and say, I can't, I can't, I don't, I won't. I don't have the words, I don't know what to say, and yet the Lord says, go, 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 trust me. Trust me. Because God is able, folks. God is able right now, isn't he? God is always able, not was able, and if now he can't, not will be able, and hopefully we hit the right spot where he's able to help us at that moment. Not might be able, not should be able, but God is able. And as believers in Christ, we need to trust him. This, folks, I would say it this way. This is where your theology is built. This is where it's built. This is where faith is built. It's built up on maturity and the knowledge of who he is and what he's done for you. That's where we're going. Don't let circumstances shape your belief. Don't let this world shape your belief. In our little thing we called hermeneutics, big word for Bible study methods. Right? This thing called hermeneutics, we have two different approaches to God's word. We have what some people do. It's called eisegesis. And you say, what's that? That's where you take your, oops, take your thoughts, your ideas, what you think it says, and stuff it into the Bible and make it, well, you've got to find a verse to match. So you're, you're manipulating to make it sound like you were right. When we talk about exegesis, it's you take God's word and let it shape your thinking. Because it's true. This up here is not always true. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Circumstances are not always true. Impressions, attitudes, all these things, they're not always true. Why are we letting them shape our truth of God? Why don't we let God shape our truth? Circumstances will never give you an accurate view of God. Because you're going to listen to the news, you're going to listen to the people being interviewed, and they always say this, where was God right then? And you're going to come away thinking that, well, God must have been gone that day. God was missing in action. God wasn't there to help them. And you're going to come to believe that. If you listen to this world long enough, you're going to find out that your God doesn't care. That's what they'll teach you. Let circumstances control you, and that's where you're going to go. Circumstances change. God doesn't. Let God shape your beliefs. Let God give you a new view of your circumstances. Go through it from an accurate understanding of Him first. That's why we're doing this study. We want to know who He is. He is able. Is He able to love you? Yes. Is he able to sanctify you? Yes. Is he able to keep you? Yes. Those are important things to help us through this life we've got in front of us. We may not always understand what's happening around us. We can get confused in circumstances, but that doesn't mean we have to stop trusting him. Trust him. He already told you the beginning from the end, didn't he? He's already told you where it's going to finish at. 
He's already showed you that He loves you. He's already set you apart for Himself. He's already preserved you, and He will keep you preserved all the way till your first steps in heaven. Can you trust a God like that? That's the question today. Can you trust a God like that? I want to read this to you. We're going to have a communion service in just a little bit. But listen to this verse carefully. You can look it up. And I I don't want you to look it up yet. But you can look it up and see I'm absolutely right in reading it this way. Romans 8.32. You might want to set that someplace where you can see it later. But listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He gave his son for you. What other proof do you need that he loves you? That he sanctified you? That he's keeping you? 